And Rhino, he's not even an issue. I don't sweat Rhino. Rhino's got him set up on the rope right here. Wrestling Review. I'm your host, Dan Rhino, brought to you, of course, by our friends at ProWrestling.com. And it is time for part four of our journey through the history of women's wrestling. Once again, this started as a project that I think was, that I originally thought was only going to be a couple episodes, starting back in Women's History Month, just to kind of honor the women who have blazed the trail to get us to uh, where we are today, where women are main eventing WrestleManias and main eventing Hell in a Cells and main eventing Monday nights and Wednesday nights and Friday nights. And like I said, what I originally thought was going to be just a two-episode series, I quickly started, started doing my research and delving deep into the history and and making sure that I didn't want to leave out anybody that really deserved to be mentioned and really deserved uh, to be a part of this this project that I've been uh, trying to undertake and trying to do these ladies justice because let's be honest in in the history of uh, professional wrestling that has not always been the case for the women and so far we've looked back at Mildred Burke, Mae Young and the ever-present in the history of women's wrestling, even after her death with the controversies that continued to pop up, Fabulous Moolah. We've talked about Wendy Richter and the rise of the Rock and Wrestling Connection that coincided with the first WrestleMania, along with the original WWF screw job between Wendy Richter and Moolah, way before the Bret Hart and Sean Montreal screw job. Last episode, we highlighted two of the most unsung heroes in the history of women's pro wrestling, that being Sensational Sherry and Medusa. And today, we're going to start in the 1980s, but we're going to end up in the Attitude Era. And the thing about today's episode is the fact that these particular topics are looked at as positive times in women's pro wrestling by some because of the TV time and the pop culture exposure that spiked for the ladies during these time frames that we're going to talk about today. But others look back on what happened in the mid to late 80s and particularly how women were portrayed in the Attitude Era with feelings ranging from disappointment to outright disgust. And I think a mixed bag opinion is probably the right approach because the time frame that we're going to talk about today did employ a lot of women, did give women a lot of prime television exposure, and did allow some women 
to make wrestling a long-term career and it did give us particularly in the attitude era some of the best in-ring workers of all time as far as the women go but you can't look back on these eras that we're going to talk about today without acknowledging how women's wrestling was sometimes on purpose even made to look like a joke or how in the wwe's case or wwf the women were sometimes portrayed just in a manner that wouldn't be accepted in today's television and, and in today's culture. But however you feel about all these topics, they are all a part of this journey we are taking through the history of women's wrestling. And just like the fabulous Moolah, we take the good with the bad. So let's start with one of the most polarizing eras in women's wrestling history. Something that some people loved, some hated, but everyone noticed. Let's talk about GLOW. The gorgeous ladies of wrestling and glow was created in 1985 to take advantage of the popularity and mainstream appeal that the WWF was gaining especially coming off that first WrestleMania and glow wasn't exactly just a wrestling show it actually had more of a Lucha Underground feel where they would mix the in-ring action with skits and over-the-top characters and soap opera storylines and it appealed to a slightly different audience than the WWF and a way different audience than the NWA and the AWA at the time. And Glow was produced by a man named David McLean, who was a former pro wrestling ring announcer and commentator for Dick the Bruiser in Indianapolis. And David McLean went into business with a woman named Jackie Stallone. And if you're wondering, yes, Jackie Stallone is Sylvester Stallone's mom. Uh, they hired a writer and director named Matt Simber, and, who had a very odd career. Uh, Matt Simber had a very odd career as a Broadway and Hollywood director. He was married for a brief time to Jane's Man, Jane Mansfield, who was one of the most famous actresses in the world and at the time. And he actually met her while directing her on Broadway. And after they divorced, David McLean went to Hollywood and kind of became one of the go-to directors for B-movies. He first did sexploitation movies, then blaxploitation movies, then horror movies, and he actually got nominated for a Golden Raspberry Award for, for Worst Director, I should say, and Worst Picture for 1982's Butterfly. And uh, even though he got nominated, he uh, couldn't even win an award for being bad. So uh, by the 1980s, by the mid-1980s, I should say, David McLean had really failed to gain traction in Hollywood and ended up taking the gig with Glow. And before I go any further, you may have seen the Netflix series Glow, which was not a character-for-character retelling of the actual glow story but it was strongly inf influenced by the real people that we're talking about here mark Marin on the show does such an amazing job as sam sylvia he's based definitely based on matt simber them both being failed movie directors who end up uh, being producers for and writers for glow and on the show chris lowell plays bash howard who's the producer and ring announcer, and he's based on the real-life David McClain. And even the wrestlers on the show were based on actual GLOW characters from the 1980s. There's a character on the show called Liberty Bell, who was based on a character from the 1980s 
series named Americana. Zoya the Destroyer was based on a Russian villain named Colonel uh, Ninochka. Colonel Ninochka. And there's so many more. I really recommend a... I, I recommend the show on Netflix, but I also recommend a documentary called Glow, the story of the, gold, of the gorgeous ladies of wrestling that came out in 2012. You get to see the original Glow wrestlers that inspired the characters from the Netflix show. And then after you do that, go check out Glow on Netflix because it's awesome. And Awesome Kong plays one of the characters on the show, so that's pretty cool too. But... Back to the 80s, and, and David McClain goes out and finds Hollywood stunt women, dancers, actresses, and models, and he's and decides he's going to find someone to teach them how to wrestle, rather than finding women's wrestlers and teaching them how to act. So the ladies on the show, and we're talking about the, the original show in the 1980s, not the Netflix show, the ladies on the show were trained by Mondo Guerrero of the family Guerrero, the famous Guerrero wrestling family. Uh, Mondo's dad was Gory Guerrero. His brothers were Chavo Sr., Hector, and most famously, he had a brother named Eddie Guerrero, who you may have heard of. And Mondo's nephew was Chavo Guerrero. And Chavo, Mondo's nephew, actually plays one of the trainers on the Netflix show, and away from the camera, actually taught the actresses the basics of wrestling, just like his uncle. So Mondo Guerrero taught the ladies in the Glow Show in the 80s how to wrestle. And his nephew, Chavo, uh, taught the actresses on the Netflix show. So there's a bit of synergy there for you. But Mondo Guerrero taught the ladies the basics of pro wrestling and ran them through basic, basic, basic drills. Like, even down to the point of how to stand in the ring, which, is, which he says was the way he was taught. But this was a super crash course in pro wrestling. And putting on five-star matches was not the point of GLOW. Putting on five-star matches was secondary to the comedy skits, the interviews, the, the sex appeal and fetishes that were represented by the different ladies. I mean, they had every fetish covered. They had... Uh, Susie Spirit, who was a cheerleader. They had Little Egypt, who was a belly dancer. They had a Valley Girl tag team. They had Southern Bells. They had Farmer's Daughters. They had everything in between. And they filmed the show in Las Vegas. And the Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling show debuted in 1986. And the show was meant to be corny on purpose. With silly comedy skits, low-cut outfits, and obvious jokes like the Glow Athletic Trainers being named Dr. Feel and Dr. Grope. But it worked. For what they wanted to do, it worked. And the show started getting a great audience, even though they made very little attempt to make it seem like an actual athletic competition, which is what the WWF did to a lesser extent than the NWA. But the NWA was all about... Real, making it look real, making it look authentic. WWF mixed in some of the entertainment, and Glow took the entertainment and turned it up to 11. They did have a title, though, but it was a tiara instead of a belt. And the point of the show was meant to just capture what was not really present in pro wrestling at the time. They just wanted to show attractive women rolling around with each other, and a lot of people were digging it. Uh, the Glow Ladies were on Family Feud. 
one of the ladies, Matilda the Hun, had a part in Aerosmith's Loving an Elevator video. But Glow's success did not st- sit well with the quote-unquote real women's wrestlers in the business. And a lot of these ladies had no respect for the Glow Girls. They felt like the Glow Girls were treating women's wrestling like a joke and degrading all the ladies that were in the business before Glow became a thing. But nevertheless, Glow ended up having decent success. And it lasted for four years and they made 104 episodes. And some of the ladies ended up working in either the AWA or the WWF. And the one you'll probably know the best was a woman named Tina Moretti, who played uh, Tina Ferrari on GLOW. And she ended up becoming a WWE Hall of Famer in 2018 after a, a very successful run in the Attitude Era under the name that you probably know her best by, Ivory. And uh, a lot of the GLOW wrestlers got together for the documentary that I recommended earlier, which is excellent. And there was another reunion in 2011 at the Cauliflower Alley Club, which was organized by uh, Angelina Altishin. And uh, she played the character of Little Egypt on GLOW. And she had this quote, which I thought was really interesting. She said, quote, One of the oddities of the GLOW shows is that we were given characters... And then we were given fictitious names to go along with those characters. So that when we were working in those seasons, we never referred to each other by our real names. We always referred to each other by our character names. Trying to find those characters was almost impossible. So these ladies that worked together on the show, many of them didn't even know each other's real names. So trying to track them down for this glow reunion at the Cauliflower Alley Club was very difficult. But... Like I said, either way you look at it, although it was super polarizing and way, way, way ahead of its time, Glow is still remembered as one of the most prominent women's promotions, if you want to call it that, of all time. And its legacy lives on with the success that Ivory had in the WWE, the critical and fan success of the Netflix show, and that excellent documentary that you need to check out. So we talked about, we couldn't get through the history of women's wrestling without talking about GLOW. And we're going to close the show this week by just dipping our toes into that magical time in the late 1990s and early 2000s that wrestling fans remember so fondly, that being the Attitude Era. The era that gave us Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Mr. McMahon, uh, Mankind getting thrown off cages... Uh, the rise of Triple H, but it also gave us risque stories, adult language, and things you couldn't get away with on today's TV. And this was where the WWF decided that a program with more controversy would equal more viewers, and they were right. And for better or worse, the ladies were a big part of that success. And I say for better or for worse, not saying that the ladies shouldn't be a, be a part of it. I'm saying that a lot of people look at the ladies' involvement in the Attitude Era, and there were definitely some things that made uh, the women look good. There were some things that catapulted these women to tremendous fame and tremendous success and making a lot of money in their careers. But 
whether you look back on this era in wrestling fondly, some people look at the portrayal of women during this time and it just doesn't sit well with them. But either way you look at it, it is a part of women's history. So we have to take the good with the bad. But like I said, a lot of the ladies made a lot of money during this time and a lot of them transitioned from just eye candy to being some of the best in-ring women's workers and draws of all time. And we're just going to look at a few today, and we'll continue the Attitude Era in our next episode, because it's, it's too big to, to cover in a half an episode, or maybe even one and a half episodes. It may take even longer than that. But it all kind of starts with a woman who wasn't really considered an in-ring performer, but we do have to talk about her because she turned into one of the biggest stars in wrestling because of her sex appeal, and that's Tammy Sitch, a.k.a. Sonny. And Sonny is important in the history of women's wrestling because, for like I said, for better or worse, she helped usher in the divas into the WWE. And a lot of people look back on, on the divas era and they don't look back on it fondly. But again, it is a part of women's history. And if we are going to do a good job of trying to hit all of the points in women's history, uh, we have to talk about Tammy Sitch and the impact that she had that led us into uh, the Divas era, which came after the Attitude era. But Tammy got her start in wrestling by riding the shows with her boyfriend, Chris Candido, and they ended up in Jim Cornette's Smoky Mountain Wrestling in the early 1990s. And basically wherever Chris went, Tammy went, so they both ended up in the WWF in 1995. And Tammy actually started in WWF as a reporter named uh, Tamara Murphy. But that didn't last long. Uh, she ended up managing Chris Candido, and they became Sonny and Skip, the Body Donnas. And their gimmick was that they were heelish workout gurus. And uh, they later added Tom, Dr. Tom Pritchard to the crew. And uh, Candido and Pritchard would do the wrestling, and Sonny was their evil manager. And Sonny had a tremendous amount of success with her part, with this part of her career, because if you look back at 1996 alone, uh, the Body Donnas won the tag titles at WrestleMania 12. Sonny was Manager of the Year in Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and she was AOL's most downloaded woman that year. And for those of you who aren't old, old as hell as I am, AOL was the internet service provider in the 1990s. And dial-up internet was so slow that you couldn't just look at thousands of pictures of celebrities in a matter of seconds like you could now. You actually had to download an image and hope someone else in the house didn't pick up the phone to break the connection mid-download. So this was a huge deal for both Sonny and for the WWF to be AOL's most downloaded woman that year. And Sonny just became a huge sex symbol worldwide she moved tons of merch she started hosting different shows for wwf and she was doing side gigs with mtv and entertainment tonight and when chris candido left wwf for ecw in 1997 sunny was even appearing on ecw programming while still being under the wwf banner now we look back on that now and we didn't know that at the time, but the WWF was actually financing ECW to kind of keep it afloat and help it feed talent. 
But to have Sonny on ECW and then also have Sonny on WWF was kind of a, a cool thing. But after 1997, things really started falling apart for Sonny. She began, she began having trouble with painkillers. She was no-showing WWF events. And the new exciting woman on the roster, Rena Mero, a.k.a. Sable, who we're going to talk about here in a second, was starting to steal some of Sonny's spotlight which led to a lot of drama backstage. And because of a combination of all of those, Sonny was released by the WWF. So her and Chris Candido worked in ECW, the land where seemingly drug and alcohol use was not only allowed, but encouraged. But there were rumors that Sonny was found out, was found passed out backstage. So in a world of where drugs and alcohol are king, uh, even Sonny's antics were too much for ECW. And Chris and Sonny left ECW and I went to WCW and they were in WCW for a while at the end of the company's existence. And when WCW went out of business, she, Sonny didn't really have uh, uh, good, t- good uh, ties back in the WWF, WWE to go back. So her and Chris did independent bookings for the next few years. But when Chris Candido tragically passed away in 2005, uh, the coroner says it was from a blood clot after a recent surgery he had, but Chris's brother said it was acute pneumonia. Uh, It really, really hit Sonny hard. She started really struggling with addiction, and she got arrested multiple times and jailed multiple times for many different violations. But then there's... The positivity, there, there's a positive part in Sonny's career where she, it looks like she kind of gets everything together. And the entire ladies roster at the time came up on stage to induct Sonny into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2011. Basically recon, recognizing her as the first diva in WWE. So we've, we've, we have these uh, peaks of success with of Sonny and the WWF and then we have the valleys with the releases and the and the addiction and the death of Chris Candido and the arrests and the jailings and then we have the the peaks again of uh, being a w, being recognized as a WWE Hall of Famer but as you know wrestling is a tough business it leads to troubling lifestyles very often and Sonny had struggled with the law in the years following and I don't want to get too much into into Sonny's story here because you gotta you gotta hope that she's gonna pull the nose up here. You gotta hope that her story has a positive ending to it because, like we've talked about on the last few episodes of this uh, journey through women's wrestling that we've been taking, uh, even just on the last episode with Sensational Sherry, Sherry could have. She could still be working for the WWE right now as a trainer, as a mentor for the women, but her story did not have a positive ending to it. And like it or not, Sonny had a huge influence on the business and not just for the women. She had a huge influence just on the business in general in the 1990s. So you got to hope that uh, she can get her life together. She can kind of get things uh, you know, pick herself up by the bootstraps and and have a a pleasant uh, final chap few final few chapters to her story here. Uh, 
but one of the reasons that Sonny had an unceremonious exit from 19, from uh, WWF in 1998 was because of the emergence of another woman that we just talked about a second ago. And we're going to wrap up this episode by talking about a woman who started off as a valet, like Sonny, but unlike Sonny, was transitioned into an actual wrestling role, becoming a pop culture icon in the process and i'm going to finish the show talking about rena marrow aka rena lesnar aka sable and sable no matter how you judge her as a performer is probably the most fitting representation of the attitude era that you're going to find Many a young man fondly remember her painted on handprint bikini, if you want to even call it that, and her three best-selling runs as a Playboy Playmate. But Sable kind of got into the wrestling business by accident. She was married to Mark Merrow when he was finishing up his WCW run as Johnny B. Bad. And the Johnny B. Bad gimmick was one that Vince McMahon loved because of course he did. And Vince wanted to bring Mark Merrow in as either that character or one very similar. So Jim Ross was talking about the first meeting between Jim Ross, Vince McMahon, and Mark Merrow on his Grill and JR podcast. And he was talking about how Rena Merrow came along. And he said this, quote, Vince called me two hours after, after the meeting and asked, did you see what I saw? Basically, he thought Rena Merrow, Sable, who accompanied Mark to the meeting, was going to be a star. Vince was right about that. So, when Mark Merrow signed with the WWF in 1996, Rena was signed on as his valet. Because they saw the star quality in just her being present in that meeting. And that would end up changing Rena Merrow's life. And their WWE careers, Mark and Rena, started at WrestleMania 12. Rena walked to the ring with Hunter Hearst Helmsley, who was still doing his snobby gimmick at the time, for his squash loss to the Ultimate Warrior, one of the worst WrestleMania matches of all time. (laughs) And after the squash, Triple H is frustrated backstage and begins targeting his anger toward Rena. Mark comes out to save her, and now they're paired up in a storyline, and we're off. But that was supposed to be the start of a great WWE run for Mark Merrow, and it instead became the Rena Merrow Show. And Sable and Sonny both became huge personalities for WWE, moving merch for themselves. They were both huge merch sellers with the calendars and the posters and the t-shirts, but they were even moving merch for others. I mean, you put another superstar shirt on one of these ladies, and all of a sudden that shirt would sell out. And Mark Merrow ended up uh, shortly thereafter, short a- shortly after coming into the company, uh, ended up spending some time on the injured list. And during that time, Sable's popularity just continues to grow. And when Mark comes back, his character is upset by all the attention that Sable is getting over him. And there's probably a lot of life imitating art here because. Mark was assured that he was going to be a big star in the WWF when he came in. Yet his wife, after a short time here, is the one who's truly getting over. And like I said before, the difference between Sable and Sonny is that the WWE 
or WWF at the time, decided to transition Sable from just being a valet and somebody who moved merch to a wrestling role. And at WrestleMania 14, Sable and Mark Merrill beat Luna Vachon and Gold Dust, with Sable using her Sable Bomb power bomb to get the win. And this, of course, makes Mark Merrow's character, and maybe even the real-life Mark Merrow, even more jealous. Because Sable gets the pin, she gets the victory, she gets the accolades. But the in-ring work that the WWE tried to get Sable to... They tried to get her on TV as much as possible, so hey, let's get her in-ring. The in-ring work was never... Sable's strong suit, but she was pushed like a real worker and presented like a real worker and a real champion. And she even beat Jacqueline, Miss Jackie, for the women's title in 1998. And the real badasses on the roster like Jackie and Luna Vachon and uh, China at the time too really held Sable's popularity against her. Because they felt that she was making real women's wrestling look bad. And Sable even went on national TV in Canada and said that it's part of her contract not to have to take bumps. Which made her even less popular backstage because you've got your women's champion going on there and saying, Yeah, I don't have to take bumps. It's in my contract. This stuff's all fake. This stuff's all real, basically. Or this, this stuff's all not real, basically. And when Sable did lose the title, she actually defeated Deborah in an evening gown match, so no bumps there. But Commissioner Shawn Michaels decided that Deborah looked so good that he awarded Deborah the title. And if that doesn't sum up why fans of actual women's wrestling and actual women's wrestlers hold such a negative opinion of the Attitude Era, I don't know what does. But the biggest moment of Sable's career wasn't in the ring because in April 1999 she was featured on the cover of Playboy magazine and it quickly became one of Playboy's top selling issues of all time. And this is where the success of the Playboy issue goes to the head of Sable's on-screen character and she becomes a smarmy heel who's better than everybody. But it also gave the real-life Rena Merrill a larger opinion of her value, which led to drama with Vince McMahon. And Sable wanted to lose the title because she didn't want to have to wrestle in the first place. She just wanted to appear on WWE TV, use that exposure to land Hollywood roles. But... <laughs> even though she didn't want the title, she told Vince McMahon she didn't want to lose the title on TV. So, it's fake, but it's not fake. You see the uh, dichotomy there. So, Vince told her that if she does, didn't appear on Raw to drop the title, she would be in breach of contract. So, Sable brings her lawyers to Raw and write her own terms for dropping the title. So, kind of a contract within a contract. She leaves the WWF a little while later and uh, polishes her initial journey off with a $110 million lawsuit against the company claiming sexual harassment and unsafe working conditions. <sighs> and the lawsuit was eventually settled out of court. So Sable leaves on bad terms in 1999, suing the company in the process. But, as we know, if money can be made, 
in pro wrestling, fences can be mended. There's so many wrestlers that we thought we'd never see under the WWE banner again. And they come back because if there's money to be made, there's always a chance. And Sable returned to the WWE in 2003. And in this run, <laughs> she had a lesbian storyline with Tori Wilson, which was basically just to promote the fact that they were going to be doing a uh, tandem Playboy shoot together. In this run, uh, Rena Merrill plays Vince McMahon's mis mistress. In real life, she divorces Mark Merrill in 2004. She leaves the WWE on better terms this time in 2004 and marries her new husband, Brock Lesnar, in 2006. And we have so much more good and bad to talk about regarding the Attitude Era, but the Attitude Era was a time where things were purposely over the top, purposely outlandish, and often didn't paint women in a positive light. Bra and panties matches, bikini ma contests, gravy boat matches, these were all just the tip of the iceberg. But somehow, it's important to remember that out of all of these shenanigans and out of all of the nonsense, some of the best workers in women's wrestling history would come out of this era. And I'm not talking about Sonny, I'm not talking about Sable. But we have to mention those women because of the impact they had on the business. We are going to talk about some of those workers on the next show as we continue our uh, walk through the history of women's wrestling. And we are going to talk about some of the other major contributors on the women's side to the most popular time in wrestling history, that being the Attitude Era. So thanks for everyone, uh, to everyone taking this journey with me. It has been a lot of work, but it has also been a lot of fun. Thank you to everybody for downloading, listening, and subscribing. If you have any thoughts on the show, please send them to me, rhinowrestlingreview at gmail.com, or tweet me, at danrhino, that's at D-A-N-R-Y-N-O, uh, or you can tweet the show at rhino underscore wrestling, that's R-Y-N-O underscore wrestling. Uh, we will probably be doing, uh, we do grab, uh, mailbag episodes from time to time, so if you have a question, we'll give you a shout out on the air. But even if we don't get to it on the air, I will uh, give you a response back and uh, just to let you know that I appreciate you and uh, thank you for being a listener and being a subscriber and for spreading the word about the Rhino Wrestling Review. Of course, thanks to ProWrestling.com. I want to give a shout out to my buddy Doug E. Wrestling over at STF Underground Podcast. You can find me on there most weeks. Uh, it drops every Friday on all podcast platforms, same podcast platforms you can find this wonderful podcast on. If you can't find it, you're not looking very hard. So that drops every Friday, like I said, on all those podcast platforms. And thanks again to ProWrestling.com for uh, giving us the opportunity to bring this show to you. Uh, this has been part four of the history of women's wrestling. And when we come back, we will talk a little bit more about the Attitude Era on part five. Until then, be good to each other and don't kick out of each other's finishers. See ya! Hey, it's the R to the Y. Yes. 
N to the O On a block like a tortoise with a slow On a block like a baker Cause I'm picking up my dough And when I'm in the booth Like I'm cooking up a O